to top that off, you know, when you raise interest rates, it's not the um, it's not the amount, right? Interest rates are still very low in historical terms. It's the it's the rate of change, right? When Paul Volcker uh, raised rates to twenty percent, he raised them overnight from ten to twenty. So it was a doubling. Mm-hmm. Fine. What we're doing now is way more than a doubling. We're really changing everything. So you're already seeing that the monthly payment on mortgages has already doubled, even though we have done very little to change interest rates so far. And so the rate of change is what's really concerning to the markets. Um, and, and that's really important. I listened to the earnings call of Moody's. Moody's is a rating agency and they basically clip a coupon on every bond that's issued in the world. The CEO said that in April and May, there were days where no bonds have been issued at all. No corporate bonds. This means that CEOs are, don't want to take on debt. They don't want to grow. They don't, they don't want to hide. It, we're, in a, we're in an environment that's not a recession, but it certainly um, feels like everyone's just waiting. You know what I mean? Everyone is anticipating what's going to happen. Everyone is in anticipation. That's the same as what I hear of people that came back from Davos. They're saying, look, everyone's just worried. Welcome to another RTD interview. Today, I'm excited to have a returning guest, Mr. Leo Gans from Wealth Research Group. Today, he's joining us to share his thoughts on the economy, importance of uh, alternative investings, as well as a variety of other things. So, uh, Leo, welcome back to RTD interviews. Thank you for having me back. Well, Leo, I appreciate you taking time. It's been several months. I, I think this is probably our first interview uh, of the 2022. And so uh, looking forward to getting your thoughts on where we're at, where we're heading. But I want to start off by uh, first, for those who might be new to the channel, may not know who you are, give us a brief rundown as to your background and you know what it is that you actually do. Um, I'm, a, I'm a businessman entrepreneur. And uh, most importantly, for the purposes of uh, the interview, um, I run Wealth Research Group, which is a free financial newsletter. And uh, it's been running for uh, almost six years with the purpose of basically sharing and congesting what I read and, and see and hear and talk about with uh, hedge fund managers and CEOs of companies and, um, and whatnot into very short and uh, concise articles. And I also share what I do personally in my own uh, portfolio, et cetera. So uh, it, it's sort of a sneak peek into uh, my world and my insights, sort of uh, like what you're going to see in the interview, but in in, uh, in a email form. Sounds good. Well, thank you for sharing that. So yeah, for those that are new to the community, they may not be familiar, but I thought I would just want to get that in there. But anyway, let's jump right in. We're halfway through the year 2022. Um, so much happening. The Fed experiment is, is causing so much volatility in the markets, as well as the global economy in general. And so there's some Fed meeting coming up and, you know, the idea of continue to uh, increase interest rates at the same time. There's recessionary fears and you name it. You know, what's your assessment of what the Federal Reserve is doing? Are they trying to land this thing or can they land it or give me your assessment? Um, I think what the Fed uh, did wrong in 2021 was wait uh, on the government. It, it waited for the government to alleviate some of the uh, supply side inflation that we see. Supply side meaning that um, we have 2,000 ports in the United States, but two of them, Long Beach and in Los Angeles, are in charge of 40% of the imports, and they basically are collapsing under the uh, um, 
on the amount of demand for goods, for, for imported goods. So we have that, then you have an acute shortage in, in chips, um, which exacerbated the problem from the supply side. And the Fed um, really thought that, um, that this will get sorted out by the free markets and by the government with better regulation, better incentives, better laws, um, more workers coming into logistics and forklifting and trucking, et cetera. And that didn't happen. So for the entire year of 2021, they didn't raise rates, they didn't lower rates, they did nothing. Um, and they kept buying bonds. So that entire illusion uh, that it was transitory and fixable uh, burst after the Delta variant in August and September shot inflation up again. And it was too bad to just keep uh, this sort of uh, uh, environment where let's let the, the free markets handle it and solve it and work through it and, and just call it transitory. It, because it, it infiltrated rents and housing and food and energy, things that usually Americans don't have to deal with as, as a real cost of living problem. So they turned the whole thing around in November and the minute uh, Powell said that inflation is no longer transitory, the NASDAQ peaked on that same day. And two months later on, on January 3rd, basically the first day of the year for 2022, the, the S&P 500 peaked and the Dow. So we've been in a very steep sell-off for the stock market ever since because we're transitioning. This is not a regular uh, buy the dip environment. This is not a regular sell-off. Um, the world of equities is reevaluating the worth of all of the securities in our world. Now that inflation will linger with us, now that globalization and the way that supply chains work with JIT or just in time. Um, is is basically it's it's over. We, we are not going back to a world where China is uh, the manufacturer of all goods and and they ship it through these very complex shipping routes around the world. We're not doing that. We we're changing all of that, and we're dealing with access demand. So there's a lot of demand, and there's not enough workers in the economy to satisfy that demand. So we're working through three major things. And therefore, everything is getting discounted for these problems. Uh, the only question around consensus in the markets is whether or not it's discounted enough. Are we discounting for a recession and a stagflation, or are we discounting for just an, just a, an uncomfortable period? Mm. So that's the main question, right? And there are opportunities, etc. cetera, but uh, it's definitely a time that it's the Goldilocks years, what, what we call Goldilocks economy, where it's very moderate, healthy growth, very muted inflation. So it just, it looks better by the minute and, and just everybody enjoys uh, the prosperity that's being built, etc. That's over. And we're in a different world altogether. And then you add geopolitical environment. That's, you know, basically we're in war uh, in Europe. So all of that, very tricky and problematic um, and coming off of one of the biggest crises in, in human history for the past hundred years, um, we're really in, 
in a real test right. for everything for the past three years. Right. Now you mentioned the repricing of everything for the most part, you know, repricing everything, which is yeah. more so in alignment with a, a lot of other economists talking about uh, sell off as well as I guess you got the hairy dents of the world who go extreme with, you know, extreme numbers, 80, 70, 90% or whatever he say, sell off wise of, you know, all the conventional assets that have been used to uh, lure people into thinking their net worth is a certain number. And that's all changing. I'm assuming for what you're saying in, in, in a best case scenario, how much longer of a sell-off do you see before there's a fed turnaround where they say, Hey, things are bad. You know, are they concerned with saving the asset bubbles that they've inflated or are they concerned with the currency? And if there is a complete, you know, falling off the cliff, how bad could it get in your opinion? The, the fed is really interested in inflation um, as their primary focus right now. And that's because they believe that inflation um, stops climbing and starts to come down, even if it comes down to 7% and 6%, it's the trajectory that matters most more than the actual number. Because if the consumer feels confident that the central bank, and you know, for most people, the central bank equals the government, has this under control, they feel much safer going back to work. And uh, obviously, higher management feels better about hiring um, and, and the economy gets better. So if they come out in, in six days from now on the 15th and say, look, we, we think we've bent the quarter on inflation. We think our policies are, are working. That's the best case scenario. So in six days from now, that's, that's really the best case scenario. They're going to keep raising rates. Um, because we're a long way from neutral, but uh, the market is already going to start pricing in, hey, we're in the solution part of this and not the problem part of this. They, they, uh, what they're doing is working. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the best case scenario. The, the, the other side is that uh, tomorrow, the 10th, uh, inflation numbers are out and we see very little change. And so the Fed has to continue to be very aggressive. Um, and and uh, that will linger on for many more months. It could linger on until the end of the year where we see there. And to top that off, uh, you know, when you raise interest rates, it's not the, um, it's not the amount, right? Interest rates are still very low in historical terms. It's the, it's the rate of change, right? When Paul Volcker uh, raised rates to 20%, he raised them overnight from 10 to 20. So it was a doubling. Fine. What we're doing now is way more than a doubling. We're really changing everything. So you're already seeing that the monthly payment on mortgages has already doubled, even though we have done very little to change interest rates so far. And so the rate of change is what's really concerning to the markets. Um, and, and that's really important. I listened to the earnings call of Moody's. Moody's is a rating agency, and they basically clip a coupon on every bond that's issued in the world, right? They need to rate it as, okay. Um, the CEO said that in April and May, there were days where no bonds have been issued at all. No corporate bonds. This means that CEOs are, don't want to take on debt. They don't want to grow. They, do, they don't want to hide. It, we're, in a, we're in an environment that's not a recession, but it certainly um, feels like everyone's just waiting. You know, what I mean? everyone is anticipating what's going to happen. Everyone is in anticipation. That's the same as what I hear of people that came back from Davos. 
they're saying, look, everyone's just worried. They're concerned. This is not a 2008. This, you know, the banks are not collapsing. The world is not uh, on the, uh, tittering on the edge, but it feels like it. And so that's the real confusion of 2022. What are we in? And you're, you talked about it and you called it a landing. And the way I see it is this. The plane has been up in the air for 13 years. It, we've been on a vacation. Everything worked. We had, the, you know, every time the, the markets fell, the Fed uh, either lowered rates or intervened or assured us. And everything was working towards growth, 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 growth. And now that's over. So we are going to land the plane. The vacation is over. It's whether or not you need to fasten your seatbelt because we're landing in the Hudson River or are we landing nicely on a strip, which is this debate between soft landing and hard landing. Right. Um, but we are going into an environment that, that's not a vacation at all. Um, so while many people say cash is trash, it may be so, but it could be that cash is trash and equities are trashier. So while you lose five or six or seven percent with inflation, when you have Apple going down 22% a month, if you had cash around, well, you can take, can take advantage of opportunities. Not saying to buy Apple stock, but I'm just I'm giving you that as an example. Right. Um, okay, so I think that's the situation that we're in. We're in a situation where the best case scenario is the Fed in a few days says we, we turn the corner and that's going to data dependent on what's happening tomorrow on the 10th. Or the slingers on for a few more months, but we are seeing changes. It's definitely working. I, I can tell you that. And just keep in mind that most people, retirees in America, most people are tied to the stock market. So the fact that the stock market is down 20% a year, it changes people's wealth effect. It changes how you vacation, how you shop. So it is putting um, uh, pressure on the psyche of the consumer. And it helps to dampen this demand side inflation that we had where people just, you know, when I was in the States a year ago in the summer, stores were empty, empty of luxury goods. It was not normal. So now now transitioning, uh, another concern that's uh, I'm assuming on everybody's mind right now is the, the, the energy concerns. And when you go to the pump, you know, especially here in the U.S., you know, I'm seeing, you know, people share with me all types of uh images of the pump prices so i'm assuming it's in your neck of the woods as well but uh that is a that is a that's a major uh concern for a lot of people because that impacts consumer confidence or lack thereof and i'm looking at a lot of you know statistics on my side talking about university of michigan uh consumer sentiment is continually declining and we have some type of midterm election supposedly in november so a lot of that is is not going to fare well on the political scene so we're going to have some concerns there but uh how much of this energy concern and prices at the pump do you think will also impact the consumer confidence as well as people's willingness to spend or not on top of all the you know issues we're having with labor shortages and all that other stuff thrown our way we've never had a situation like this that didn't end with a recession in other words when oil on an annualized basis is going to double uh, we've never ended that kind of a period without some sort of a problem. And that beca- that's because America runs on oil. Everyone commutes to work and truckers go around the U.S. to it's a consumer good economy. Uh, everything runs on oil. If oil is expensive, people don't, don't necessarily cut their oil expenses that easily. 
it's it, you cannot just change the way that you operate. Um, you still need to get to work, etc. So every dollar that's spent on energy is not spent on the real economy and to move it. Um, and that's really bad. So yeah, I'm very concerned about oil prices being at 120 and uh, perhaps even going higher. Um, there's, uh, you know, if you want to point the blame on this, I would say definitely uh, big oil executives uh, don't like Biden uh, and Biden's administration. That's easy to understand uh, because they, they say as much. They just don't like to see a bureaucrat coming through their rigs and starting to slap them with uh, environmental uh, regulations and, and fines. And I'm talking like fines to be in, in the tens of millions. Right. So we, we haven't had a lot of new oil production in the U.S. And that's concerning. And um, obviously... And then also, I'm sorry, happening? also you factor in that there's been a lot of uh, land leases with, with revoked and, you know, the actual what appears to be on the surface um, non-friendly policies towards the energy sector in general with, you know, the pipeline situation, things of that nature. So, you know, it seems like it's a self-inflicted energy concern here in America. So it's like, why would you do that? But yet again, I'll, I'll you know, leave that alone. But I'm sorry, go ahead. I mean, look, you're right. If you want to get to a carbon-free environment and, and you know, ESG and let's save the planet, et cetera, there, there's the, the dream of that. And then there's the reality. You need to have a plan. And closing down oil, when oil demand is on the rise globally, um, with the middle class rising across the globe, it's just not the way. There, there needs to be a, a realistic plan. Um, so that's one thing. And secondly, um, you know, uh, Putin in, invaded Russia, invaded uh, the Ukraine, I'm sorry, um, because of oil and natural gas. Uh, that, that's the 30-year history uh, between 1991 and today is all about uh, how the Russian Federation, after the split to the 15 nations that comprise the USSR, how uh, the oil suddenly ended up in the hands of little countries like Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan and Turkmenistan, suddenly they're, they're, you know, these, these little countries with a few million people are sitting on uh, uh, the shores of the Caspian Sea on the biggest oil reserves in the world. And if you're the president of Russia and you see that, it's almost like they stole it from you, right? Um, so with that, and then what happened in the Ukraine a few years ago, this is all about resources. This fight again against uh how to win back resources, especially because Russia has a huge seaport problem. So everything they produce has to go to Europe and their pipelines literally were built in the Soviet era. So they, a pipeline that goes through Russia goes through the Ukraine. And that's a problem, a geopolitical problem. It's not new, but the fact that he uh, invaded the Ukraine now uh, is has a lot of reasoning behind it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate and crazy unfortunate from the U.S., from the you know, human side. Um, but we're fighting resource wars and that just exacerbates and, and puts an emphasis uh, resources around the globe. So um, I think that that, that is a, a real concern. The middle class cannot sustain these prices of oil for uh, much longer without uh, uh, a real slowdown, a real slowdown in spending and 
and uh, cutting back and, and it, it impacts everyone. It, it's a really concerning situation. Right. And it impacts us, you know, because energy is the gateway to all the other commodities as far as food sector and things of that nature that we need fertilizer. Right. You know, so it's all been impacted. And so hopefully that stuff is ironed out. But uh, my suspicion is that, you know, we're just in the beginning phases of what might not be comfortable times ahead, just because that's the cycle I think we're in when it comes to the fourth turning and things of that nature. But uh, we got six months left in the rest of the year. Uh, what are some things that you're keeping an eye on and how are you navigating from a financial investment standpoint? Share a little bit of what you're excited about and what opportunities are out there. Well, before I share what's exciting, let me share you what's concerning um, because th- there are a lot of things that are, are still problematic. Um, I, I invest in, in a lot of real estate funds. And um, when I speak with uh, the fund managers and whatnot, it, real estate is really of concern. I think if, if you, I prepared a really um, meaty special report for your listeners they want to go to wealthresearchgroup.com forward slash housing or forward slash uh, bear or forward slash pain. And these are all about um, what's happening right now with housing because uh, it, it's a, a real concern. Housing uh, in general in the, in the post WW2 era in the last 80 years, there's only been four times where housing prices have gone down in America. Um, so that's really rare. Um, but we could see a situation where prices um, stagnate for many years. And not only that, but the problem uh, that I see and I hear from um, what's going on on the field is that there's just a shortage in housing. So even if you go to your mortgage broker and a mortgage is not for you and you go back to renting, renting is not affordable. So you're, Either way, housing has become expensive to rent and to own. Uh, we have a problem with a shortage in housing. Again, problem that the government's that the government and the administration has failed to uh, to solve. We had a two-year period where builders just didn't do anything. Right and, and during, uh, the, you need to help them. You need regulations. You need the mayors, the the, the governors. You need help from the state level, and, and uh, you know. All of this needs to be pro-business to help constructors uh, build and to, to make the, the job easier on them on permits and, and whatnot. There's a 3 million home shortage in the United States, and that's before even considering the insane migration trends uh, to the southern states, to the Sunbelt area, to uh, tax trailer areas like Texas and Florida and Arizona and Nevada. Um, so you got migration, construction going. People want to live in houses now and outdoors, and not in, in uh, you know in the cities. And millennials are getting married. Like this is just the beginning. So I really think that we're going to go through a rough period here for housing for uh, twelve to eighteen months uh, because prices have pulled forward a lot. Um, and construction is a major industry in the United States. It employs so many people directly and indirectly. So that's of concern to me. Um, recession is of concern to me once I start hearing about layoffs. If companies need to start laying off um, because investors now look for the bottom line now. Uh, this is what I'm talking about with the paradigm shift. Right. Uh, you know, 2013, 14, 15, you want to raise money. 
interest rates are zero. You're a CEO of a, of a or a founder of a company. You tell your investors, I'm going to hire, I'm going to buy into this industry and this, and I'm going to disrupt this thing. And in five to six years, we're going to control 6% of the, the overall market. And then we'll start to have a bottom line. No, uh, you cannot run a business that way. They, they want you to have profits now. So you need to cut on growth, cut on R&D, cut on new markets, cut on factories, cut on workers, and start showing a bottom line. And that's the, this transition that we're seeing from growth to value. Um, so that's happening as well. And that obviously is, um, I wouldn't say it's recessionary, but so many people have, have been hired because of a growth strategy. Right. And uh, it, it, you, know, you see people that get a job and then post their uh, LinkedIn profile and get a better job and get a better and all these people that have switched jobs three or four times, this is going to come back to bite them because uh, new employers are going to say, why, well, why did you have four jobs in three years? Well, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And this is going to, this, the, the power that the workers have is going to slowly shift back to the uh, employers um, in, in the transitions that we're, that we're facing. So all of this to me, the worker shortage plus uh, the housing is more concerning than inflation. I think inflation, for the most part, is going to start trending uh, down because a lot of what we saw was induced by the pandemic and, and the measures of closing down the economy and opening it back up. But now that we're you know almost 100% opened up, I think that uh, uh, inflation is going to look better. Uh, I think it's going to stay higher than most people than what it was in the pre- previous decade, but um, we're definitely not going to see 8% and we don't need to have the Fed go to 8% in order for uh, things to, uh, to start coming down. The free markets are, are definitely adjusting to what's happening. All right. Well, so let, uh, as we got draw towards the end, give us uh, some things that you're proactively looking to do during the next six month time frame because i think moving forward we can't really project long term because there's so many variables into this you know situation we're all experiencing but in the short term six months what is Leor doing to protect preserve and to you know to grow what he's uh using uh, his capital out there i call my strategy now half positioning hmm. so i raise cash coming from businesses and income and I deploy it in stocks and in uh, real estate and whatever I want with half of the position that, um, uh, that I would normally do. The reason for this is because uh, I like cash right now. Even though it sounds weird, cash is going to give you a lot of uh, optionality. Um, and I think that we haven't seen the distressed uh, bankruptcies and, and, and that's sort of a scare yet. Mm-hmm. Once we start seeing that, I think um, uh, that it's going to offer opportunities. So half positioning. I'm not stopping to uh, invest. No, there are great opportunities out there in, in high quality stocks and in, in high quality uh, equities and, and, and whatnot. And I even like gold, at, even at these levels. Um, but I think half positioning is better than going all in. I don't think this is a buy the dip opportunity. I think this, this is a, a time of a sideways uh, pricing. 
um, and to see how companies adjust to everything that's going on. And the companies that are able to adjust, I want to buy and own more of them for the next 20, 25, 30 years. And I talk about those stocks uh, in, in, uh, in our uh, newsletter. Um, and you can also actually go to, to our website, to wealthresearchgroup.com. And on the top menu, you'll see watch list. You can click that and download an, uh, many of the companies that I like uh, to watch and, and, and uh, um, to accumulate over time. Sounds good. And so, Leo, once again, it's always great to have you on the show. Uh, thank you for sharing your analysis and assessment of where we're at and where we're heading. And so, uh, once again, you know, look, definitely going to have you on sooner. I apologize for not reaching out sooner, but uh, going to have you on before, probably, you know, definitely before the end of the year. And uh, we'll see where we're at at that point and get ready for 2023 and beyond. But once again, thanks for joining us on RTD interviews. <laughs> thank you, sir.